September the 19th, 2023. Let us gather together and experience the goodness of God. I'm Pastor Trey Comstock. We begin with our scripture of the week, Exodus chapter 14, verses 19 through 31, and a piece by me entitled, They Had a Future. Then, I'll be joined by Pastor Emily Larson to talk scripture and about what it means to help people rather than cripple them. But first, a reading from Exodus chapter 14, verses 19 through 31. The angel of God who was going before the Israelite army moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved from in front of them and took its place behind them. It came between the army of Egypt and the army of Israel. And so the cloud was there with the darkness, and it lit up the night. One did not come near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. The Israelites went into the sea on dry ground, the waters forming a wall for them on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went into the sea after them, all of Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and chariot drivers. At the morning watch, the Lord, in the pillar of fire and cloud, looked down upon the Egyptian army and threw the Egyptian army into panic. He clogged their chariot wheels, so that they turned with difficulty. The Egyptians said, Let us flee from the Israelites, for the Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, so the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and chariot drivers. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at dawn the sea returned to its normal depth. As the Egyptians fled before it, the Lord tossed the Egyptians into the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the chariot drivers. The entire army of Pharaoh had followed them into the sea, but not one of them remained. But the Israelites walked on dry ground to the sea, the waters forming a wall for them on their right and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great work the Lord did against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. He heard them coming all day yesterday, the rising thunder of chariot wheels and horses. At first, it felt like a small earthquake, but as the day went on, it became increasingly clear that Pharaoh had gone back on his word. They wouldn't get the easy journey out of slavery. Instead, Pharaoh pursues them even still. He wished that he could be surprised at this point, but a lifetime at the hands of Pharaoh and his slave drivers left little room for that. Pharaoh would not accept defiance. As sunset approached, the roaring and pounding got so loud he risked a glance behind him. What he saw nearly made him stop in his tracks. Hundreds of chariots and thousands of horses bore down on them with spears and swords and archers. How could they stand up against the might of Pharaoh? Moses pulled some neat tricks, but the assembled forces looked unbeatable. They would crash through the ragtag ranks of former slaves like a hammer splitting a pot. Any thought of running felt equally hopeless. Ahead of them, the sea stretched out in infinite vastness. Curse you, Moses, he said to no one in particular. Did they run out of graveyards in Egypt? As more began to look behind, and the bleak picture sank in, more folks began to offer up similar thoughts. He could hear shouts of, I'd rather have died a slave, and at least Pharaoh let us die in our own beds. Moses, for his part, didn't seem much better. He was just visible at the front of the column, yelling animatedly at the pillar of cloud. This didn't inspire confidence. The brain does strange things when overwhelmed with the fear of imminent death. He thought about his last conversation with Sarai on the night of the Passover, how he had promised to speak with her father. He had meant to do it yesterday, as they walked, but he ran out of bravery. He thought about how he'd promised his youngest brother that they'd start woodcarving lessons so that he could start making his own toys, and he couldn't stop thinking about how his mother was going to die riding in a cart with the busted wheel that he had assured her that he would fix. He didn't know if he should just keep walking or stop and let the chariots overtake him. He kept trudging forward, eyes in the dirt, but felt utterly disconnected from the experience. 
Suddenly, a ripple of noise from the crowd made him look up and shattered his stupor. As soon as night fully set in, the pillar of cloud transformed again into the pillar of fire, but it moved from its position in front to standing between Pharaoh's army and the Israelites. An equally fiery and terrifying angel of the Lord had joined it. Just as the thundering chariots were about to overtake the Israelites, they came to a sudden stop. A strange silence settled over both groups. You could hear the swirling of the flames in the pillar, crackling in the air like a bonfire. His terror and resignation were replaced with confusion. How could the army just stop like that? What happens now? They still have us trapped at the edge of the sea. Another roar from the crowd shifted his attention back to the front of the column. Moses stood on a rocky outcropping, facing the sea, staff in hand. Energy radiated into the crowd as if the fabric of reality itself began to vibrate. Moses directed his staff towards the sea. Instantly, the sea exploded into confusion. Waves crashed in impossible ways. Two giant tidal waves began moving in opposite directions. The sounds of sea and wind nearly deafened the crowd. The roiling chaos slowly emerged into order. The sea resolved into two colossal columns of water with a narrow track of seafloor exposed between them. Everyone. Israelites and Egyptian troops stood transfixed, unable to move. The uncontrollable sea had neatly parted. Many blinked dumbfounded. The scene lacked any plausibility, and yet there they stood, and yet here they stood, with the sea obeying an even more unfathomable power. Moses came down off his outcropping, walked down on the beach and out into the narrow track of seabed. The Israelites hesitantly followed him. At the urging of their generals, the Egyptian army followed the Israelites. The angel and the pillar continued to separate the two groups. They journeyed this way for hours, till the seabed began to slope up towards the opposite shore. The Israelites climbed towards the beach, but the Egyptians stopped moving, unable to get past the angel and the pillar. Person by person, cart by cart, the Israelites emerged from the sea. Confusion and panic grew in the Egyptian ranks. Some began to drive their chariots back towards the other shore. Others ran toward the pillar to try and break through. The mighty army became a terrified mass. When the last of the stragglers made it to shore, Moses again stood before the sea and the fleeing army. The tingle of energy rose again. He brought his staff up with incredible speed. The sea restored itself to its original position, drowning the entire Egyptian army in a moment. All the Israelites stood together on the beach, staring at the sea and the remains of the Egyptian army floating to the surface. Shock turned to joy and reverence. They were free. God had freed them. God deployed impossible power to vanquish a seemingly all-powerful enemy. Moving through the crowd, he found his fiancée, his youngest brother, his mother, and his father. They were safe. They had a future. God had given that to them. Somewhere from behind them, they heard singing. The Lord is my strength and my might, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Exodus chapter 15, verses 2 through 3. So as you heard, if you're familiar at all with this show, previous 10 episodes, this is a little different than my normal kind of piece. I, I, I decided to personalize it and center it on watching this guy who I very intentionally never gave a name. I like named his girlfriend Sarai, but I, I get this guy has a, you know, I started to, you know, 
I, I've been a playwright at times in my life. You know, I've written some things. So, like, I, I gave this guy a girlfriend. Like, I gave this guy a family. You learn about his mother. You learn about his brother. This little brother who's going to learn woodworking. Right? Like, I... I got a whole backstory there to your character. Right, well, you have to, right? Like, you have to give this guy depth. And, you know, I have this, you know, I had this moment of, like, he thinks he's about to die. And what does he think about? So he thinks about his girlfriend. Um, So he thinks about all the things he's left undone, right? Like, he thinks about his girlfriend. He thinks about um, his little brother who he didn't teach woodworking, even though he promised he would. That he never fixed his mom's, like, that his mother's going to die in a, you know, a cart with a busted wheel because he never got around to, you know. Um, I gave him, but I don't actually give him a name. Um, But, like, I tried to, like, think about, this story of what it might have been like to be there, to be in the midst of this terrifying in all kinds of ways, like bad terrifying and then maybe good terrifying, but to like sit with this character because often we tell this story, it's we tell it from the perspective of Moses, right? You watch the fiction on it, the Veggie Tales. You mentioned the pre-show Veggie Tales, which I had forgotten about. The Veggie Tales one, the Charlton Heston I think, one. I think, Charlton the... Heston, I think of Prince of Egypt, of course. Yes. Um, the classic work um, on <laughs> this topic, right? But we all we center this on on Moses because he's the, he's the pro, you know he's. A MacGuffin, but like he's an important MacGuffin. Um, he is, you know, the kind of the he is the perspective from which the story is told. The story tracks Moses, right? It is Moses is born. Moses is in the wilderness. Gets the name of God. Moses comes back. Moses and his team like lead the you know stuff against Pharaoh. Moses stands there and waves the stick, right? Um, but what would it, you know, I, this started with the question of, like, what would it be like to be there? And an interesting thing happened to me when creating this dude, who has a backstory but no name, is you actually start to, I actually started to understand, like, them freaking out, right? Because this, I bet, this felt different than just watching Moses do miracles, Right? Because they weren't in danger. They were or they were in the danger of slavery, which I, I guess is a kind of danger. But they were in a way less precarious position, right? And so you're watching these miracles happen. And sure, they're interesting shows of power, but they haven't accomplished, like, they're not magic. I use the term magic trick in the thing because he's being derisive, right? Like he is. Right. Um, but But frogs and locusts are things that happened regardless of, a miracle right. that's just the way in which they happen and the amount in which they happen and their frequency right. and so, of those things, right? They're definitely miracles and shows of power, mm-hmm. but they're not like this, right? This, this is, is new and different. This is new and different because without God intervening in this moment, they're hosed, right? But I love the way that you have created that character. This is actually one of my favorite ways to teach Sunday school um, to young children in particular. Um, So when you're talking about scripture, it's real easy, especially on these that we've heard a hundred times, right? We've heard Moses. We've heard Jonah. We've heard Noah. Um, But to go back and it's called imaginative listening, right? You close your eyes, you have somebody read the story, and then you have somebody read the story again. But while you're listening to that story, you put yourself in it like a movie. So either you're a character in it, um, but then you can start to engage your other senses. You know, it's not just listening to it. You're watching it like a movie. You're participating in it. You're, you know, smelling the animals on the ark. You're feeling the mud on your shoes as you're walking through the Red Sea yeah. that has just parted. Um, you know, you, you start to imagine those small details that really bring it home and go, oh, no, these were, you know, people experiencing something. What is it that we are meant to gain from this story from that person's experience? And so it's a really useful tool when looking at any scripture um, is to put yourself into it, not maybe into the main character's shoes, but into another character's shoes and really experience it in a different new way. I did the same thing back at, at East. So, you know, by the way, if you don't know, these essays that I write predate this show. I've been writing them for a year. 
um, over at servantsnow.org, the weekly devotionals uh, tab. Um, and I did the same thing for the resurrection um, and tracked the character of Mary, like showing up, like what would it have been like for these, you know, trying to give, again, interiority to these women to bring in, in both of these to bring out from their perspective and the perspective of the characters in the scene, what would it feel like for God to show up in this amazing way? Right. To the, the old Testament in particular, it's just, it's written in a writing style that's, you know, 2,600 years old, 2,700 years old, right? Like it's a very economic style. And so what it does include details, like, pay attention, but, like, it's a very economic um, literary style. And so you don't get the, like, you know, you know. again, we, we, we create the whole universe in a chapter and a half, right? Like, you know. So you're here, talking about cuneiform stone tablets. Right. You're talking about stories that were passed down verbally. They had to be short enough to remember, you know, to pass right. around around but a campfire. So, so like, it, but, it, like, here is this, like, astounding moment that is just just described like just just played straight right like this is the, the, today's it's passage 12 is verses it's 12 verses it's 12 right? verses we, we part the red sea and escape egypt and it's 12 verses right like you, you feel like you could be this is like the telegraph operator and you had to like beep it out and so you were really limited on what you could send right like this is twitter before they expended the character limit right like this is <laughs> like it is so again part of this is to ground us in this dude and again it was interesting grounding it like i really i grasped something about how different this miracle is by sitting with him for hours as I wrote this, but also just to draw out for us the scale of what's really happening. This is what things like, this is what movies do too. I just happen to be a writer. Um, so I can't go make Charlton. I'm not hiring Charlton Heston. Um, I can write a thing. Um, but this is part <laughs> of what those movies and where actually Prince of Egypt as an animation you can really do like Prince of Egypt you have like the whales that we don't know but like there are whales right and, like it's there's like, really really big fish in that Red Sea in yeah, the Prince really, of really, Egypt it's a real big fish but like it showed like this is a miracle on a monumental scale and the other thing um I don't talk about this in the piece but I, I it is in the sermon of like this is creation again, right? So if you think about, we mentioned Genesis 1 a minute ago, right? Like this, God sweeps over the water and the first thing that God does in creation is, you know, create, let there be light. And then he defeats the chaotic water. God defeats the chaotic water, right? Um, and everything comes into order. And everything comes into order because the sea, um, talk about this a lot, but like, especially to ancient people, the sea was just primordial chaos. Still is. It was all, here there be dragons, right? Yeah, right, It was yeah. all off the edge of the map. Right. And like, it, it, anyone who stood on a beach and looked out at the vastness of an ocean has felt this feeling. Now think about if you don't understand, like, plate tectonics and ocean currents and wind and hurricanes. If you don't understand any of those things, now imagine how scary that ocean would be. And so part of the story of creation is that God has power over chaotic water, right? Which no one else, as far as they were concerned, and frankly, is true. Um, but we don't have, like, you know, there are some forces in this world that we don't have a measure of either, and the sea is one of them. S ships still sink, right? Like, her, you know, there's a massive hurricane off the Atlantic coast right now, right? Like, we don't have control. Um, this is God once again harnessing a power that only God can Right. This is a very heavyweight giant yeah. stepping into the corner of the Israelites yeah. and taking care of that fight. It's almost like uh, in 
the Chronicles of Narnia, yeah. you know, before we see the character of Aslan, before Aslan yeah. comes onto the picture, they just mention the name of Aslan and everybody gets this glow yeah. of like, right. like, well, oh, yeah, don't yeah. worry, Aslan's on the move, right? Yeah, God is on the move. You, yeah, you've got Lewis. this big heavyweight on your side. So well, no worries. and like, it is both, of, it, this is, you know, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Um, last time we talked, it's not often we do this much Exodus, but there's just a lot of Exodus in the series. Um, we talked about this last time a little bit too, but this is the Battle of Titans, right? Like yeah. this is, this is, this is a bad analogy, but this is Godzilla v. Mothra, right? Like this is like, <laughs> I, so I'm trying to explain to my son who Godzilla is. Like we go to the comic book store and like we see like toy Godzillas and my son really likes dragons. Um, and which, which is, he's right about that. Dragons are cool. Um, and so he's like, well, I think I might like Godzilla. And I'm like, God, though, like, but he also likes, he likes Power Rangers. And like, so it is a lot like Power Rangers. It's a guy in a rubber suit. Um, yeah. and then, anyways, so, but like, this is Godzilla <laughs> v. Mothra, right? Like this right. is the, you know, when you center the story on Moses, which the story isn't really doing. Um, you lose what's happening here. And this is two Titans are hitting one another with their best shot, mm-hmm. right? So Pharaoh has the super weapons of the ancient world. Um, Pharaoh has um, chariots, right? Uh, Egyptian chariots, very good. Um, and this is a great, you know, you know, to be that mobile, that fast and that stable of a shooting platform on a battlefield, that stable of a sword, you know, you have a chariot driver. And so then you can have like one or two dudes who just fight, which is way better than cavalry. Like you can really start to see why it makes sense. Um, and so these are the super weapons, the, you know, the F 35 stealth fighter of the ancient world. Right. Okay. So this is Pharaoh's best shot. This is Pharaoh's army. And it's not like the, the normal ground troops. This is the chariots. Go and get my best chariot. I think it's like, they're called like spiked chariots, right? This is back in chapter 13. Go get the spiked chariots. Bring me the spiked chariots. He's not Vince McMahon. I don't know why. He could be. I don't know. Uh, Bring me the spiked chariots. Um, And so he goes, gets the spiked chariots. And so these are the super weapons. And so Pharaoh in the opening salvo says, here's my best shot the most powerful military that has so far existed in human history, right? Romans come later. Um, you know, the British Empire comes way later. The, you know, modern U.S. military is, you know, not a twinkle in anybody's eye, right? This is the most powerful military force hitherto known, right? And they're char- bearing down on this group of slaves, for recently former slaves. And so that is... Pharaoh's best shot. Here is my best force. This is a force that no other human at the time would have access to. No one has access to violence. No human has access to violence like Pharaoh has access to violence. So absolutely terrifying to see bearing down on you. Chaos of the sea on one side. Pharaoh coming with death and destruction on the other. Right. I mean, you, you, you you start to understand the bravery so the in the early days of the war in ukraine um there was a woman i think this story is true this was reported in the press if this turns out to be apocryphal i don't care honestly um so this is this older woman who was handing out flowers to the oh, russian yes. soldiers i love that the flower yeah. seeds flower seeds yes. right right flower uh-huh. seeds to the russian soldiers as they're coming in and it was so that when you die, you will grow flowers, right? Like, like that takes a lot, like that, that takes, that's guts, right? So here is this like, right. you know, modern military uh, crashing down on you. People and, rolling in on tanks and she's handing out flower seeds. seeds right? I like, love this story. Right. I, I, don't, love I, this I don't even care if it's true. I don't, right. I don't even care if it's true. <laughs> but like, like that is, that's the scale of mismatch here. Right, like this is the whatever I'll pick the Russians. This is the you know the Russian military crashing onto a group of slaves, right? Like it's they've got no chance, right? 
they have nothing, right? They, they have the, they had to cook unleavened bread because they had to get out of there so fast. You know, they don't even have yeast, right? Like, Except they've got God in their corner. Right, that's, that's the only a, thing they have in their corner, right? The only they've thing they got have in their God corner is God. It. And then the tool that God deploys to defeat Pharaoh is very strategic. A, because it worked. But yes. B, because it makes the point. Pharaoh, here is a thing that you can't do, right? Because mm-hmm. a Pharaoh, Egyptian Pharaoh, could do a lot. Egyptian Pharaoh um, was the master of a lot of elements. He is the master of stone. They can build stone things of that still stand, that right, that are still incredibly impressive, right. right? Like they are masters of stone. They can build. They are masters of the land. They can grow bounties of agriculture that no one else had. At that point, that's how we end up in the story ends up in Egypt at all. Right. As we talked about back with Joseph. Right. Mm-hmm. That, you know, they are they've mastered so many things. They have an They're army. Right? They, have, they have an army. They can master other nations. Right. They cannot master the sea. Mm-hmm. Only God can do that. Exactly. Right. I had a, a history professor in high school, history teacher, I guess you call them in high school, um, who uh, was kind of a jerk. Um, and no one was allowed to get a hundred, um, on anything. Um, and he wouldn't deduct a lot of points, but he would deduct like a quarter of a quarter of a point and he would write in the margins. This was world, this was civil, like world civilizations or whatever. He would write only Allah is perfect. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> you couldn't make a hundred in his class because only Allah is perfect. Like this is. Oh, that's frustrating. Th- oh, I was. <laughs> As that's a, maddening. As a madden, as a person who's pretty good at who is pretty good at history, was pretty good at history then. Um, to like, and it was like ninety nine and three quarters in terms of your grade point average. It's it's the same, right? Um, right. There's not a huge difference between a hundred and ninety nine point seven five, but like only because only Allah is perfect. He just wanted to <laughs> wring his little neck. Um, <laughs> but like that's like only God can do this, right? This is a a weapon that can only be deployed by God because right. no one else has that level of control over chaotic water. So how much of an answered prayer is this yeah. for the Israelites who are sitting there going, Oh my gosh, we're all going to die. We're all um, going to die. Like I, you know, rock it, hard place, rock hard place right, sea, like, right, chaos, the, the, death and destruction, right? modern military ocean. And yet God shows up. Right. God and shows so, up. And so so what lesson can we take from that when we're stuck in our own right. rocks in a hard place, right? Well, when we're stuck. Well, it goes back to what is, you know, and it's come up a lot in this series because in some ways it's what this series is about. But, like, it comes up a lot in my preaching because I want to make this point. I get really tired of this ongoing narrative of how bad the world is, right? That, like oh, surely we must live in the end times because it's the worst. And I go, well, you, well, you I think you've missed the point of the end times. But <laughs> B, like, God is here. Right? Still. Still. God is still here. The same God that parted the Red Sea right. Right. And is we talked still about here. Two weeks ago, but like it bears repeating. Like, God is still here. Like, this God is still here. And so when we find ourselves, like, and, and I, you know, and again, we have a whole segment of the show called How to Reassert a Church. So clearly this is, this is a thing I think about a lot. But, like, I think about this in terms of how we tell the story about church specifically. Um, of it is so often that wistful, oh, it'll never be that way. And it may never be that form, right? But, like, if church, if you feel like, as Christians, as whatever, that you're back into a corner, well, that doesn't mean you're doomed, right? It might mean you need to rely more on God, listen more to God, follow more after God, see where God's power is leading you. But, like, fundamentally, here in this, like, founding moment where we go from not just God of a family, but God of a people, right? Where we kind of recreate creation to create a people, 
right? Where God once again masters the chaotic water and dashes it on Pharaoh's head like little bunny foo-foo. And right? all of like, Pharaoh's army does the dead man's flip. Did you have right. to do that song in oh, BBS that, you know, Pharaoh, Pharaoh? I had to do it. So I did Epiphany. <laughs> Baby, yeah. Both Epiphany and Cairo's prison ministry really into that song. Mm-hmm. And, like, I used to think, like, because I started out, like, doing Epiphany Children's Prison, which is to uh, juvenile offenders, in right. Virginia. And, like, it was a bunch of, like, Gen Xer. I was the youngest, of course. So it's a bunch of Gen Xer <laughs> men, um, Xers and boomers, like, psychotically into the uh, Pharaoh. Pharaoh, Pharaoh song. Um, and then, like, How did that become the song? I, so like, I don't know. Right? I, I have every no idea, Christian but... that I know that went to church at all in the 90s, well, because Louie Louie is a great song. I mean, it starts it with it starts with the source material. Um, it, two things: one, Louie Louie is a great song. Two, yeah. most people cannot comprehend the lyrics, right? So, as far as I'm, you know, right? Like it's just like it's a very stylized delivery of the lyrics, right? Yeah, um, yeah. And so, I think that's part of it. So, part of it, great source material. Part of it. Killer dance, right? As the as Christian hand motions go, it's and the you, walk like an Egyptian. And, and and you and I are a connoisseur of these things, <laughs> right? We have gone from heaven to earth to show the way. Uh, we have waves of mercy and waves of grace. Waves of grace, uh, right? yes. Like, I, I can do, you know, it's a <laughs> lifetime spent in these things. Killer hand motions, like S tier. <laughs> Like someday we should throw out the 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 uh the how to restart a church segment for one show and just do a ranking of hand motions. Yes. Um, and I would say number one with a bullet is <laughs> Pharaoh. 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 Um, and so I have like I don't know how it became. I don't really know how it became a thing other than it is a certified banger as Christian covers of secular songs go. Right. Nah. Like. It, like, not often do we create the level of artistry that is Pharaoh Pharaoh. <laughs> um, it is also a reasonable summation of this story, which I appreciate, um, because God does the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it is, like, it, this is amazing. It's absolutely amazing. And that's what we still have, Right. You think, you know, again, this is Exodus, so we're back to written during exile, or recorded during exile, right? Um, And this is part of why that's really useful, to have this reminder, this story, about just how powerful God is, um, and that God has power over forces beyond our comprehension. Even in the modern world, we could not, we do not have this ability now. We cannot part the seed down to its bed, hold it there for hours, and then weaponize it. Trust me, if someone had this ability, they would have used it by now. Right? <laughs> True. Like, like, we have a hard enough time building the ability to lift ships up using water with locks, right? Like, you know, we have a hard enough time doing that or, like, you know, anytime flood control fails in Houston, we were remind how poorly this city is at controlling its own chaotic water. Often. Uh, often. So often. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, <laughs> you're, you know, past the anniversary of Harvey not that long ago, right? The mm-hmm. fundamental failure of control, of an unprecedented amount of water. We couldn't control it, right? And that's less water, fundamentally less water than what's involved here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it is just, you know, we don't want to sound like a broken record, but like, there just is, we miss the power. Or we miss that we still have the power? I don't know. But like, I, I think it might be the latter. I think that we forget that we still have the power. There, or well, not that we have the power, that God has the right. power, right? That we don't think of God as performing miracles today. We don't think of God as being that powerful today. We have this separation in our mind between God now and God of the Old Testament, but it's the same God. It's the, it's the same God. And, you know, I we've been, as a church, doing the uh, Sandra Richter um, uh, Epic of Eden, right, which is this, like, 
great survey of the old te- like putting the pieces of the old testament together and one of her points as an old testament professor is like the new testament folks really don't think it's two stories they really think it's one story right they really think that you know god of our ancestors the god of abraham that god of isaac the god of jacob the god who brought you up of the land of egypt um the same god who died on the cross uh and the same god who came back down at pentecost yeah right? like it's the same like that there's not like there's not old, te- you know, Old Testament God and New Testament God, right? Like it is one God, and maybe that power looks different, but that power, that raw, unchallengeable, unassailable power, the same power we've got. Yep. And I, you know, it's modern life. It's easy to lose sight of how much you rely on God, anyways. I guess that's the other part of it, right? Like. You know. Is we we don't need God to come in and save us because we can save ourselves. Oh because yeah, no, we've already figured out how to do that. <laughs> yeah, we're really sure that we we can save ourselves. Uh, yep. No, 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 it's okay. Um, and and like you miss the miracles that are in that, right? Mm-hmm. The miss the like, you know, there are a thousand miracles that happen every day, right? That go unnoticed or unreported, right? Mm-hmm. Um, this is this big headliner moment, but this big headliner moment should help us see not this is a thing that happened once, but this is who we're dealing with. Yeah. Right. That's a lot of the lot of the Bible is not it is not it is history, but it's not actually meant as history. It is meant as, you know, a few hundred people trying to explain to you who you're dealing with. And who's in your corner. And who's in your corner, yeah. Right? When you feel desperate, when you feel stuck, when you feel overwhelmed, whatever it is that's coming at you, whether it's chariots or, you know, unemployment or whatever other, you know, socioeconomic thing that's happening or political thing that's happening or the world is a terrible place because of fill in the blank. the the decline of the church, right? Like whatever your thing is. Whatever that thing is, God is still in your corner. Right. And and God is still that that powerful. And so I you know, we the the Bible <laughs> the Bible uh, is this like, you know, thousand year story of who we're dealing with and the raw power that entity, that God contains. And that God fundamentally chose us for reasons that are beyond our own understanding. I don't, I wouldn't, I'm not sure I would have chosen us. Um, I'm really glad that God did, but like, I'm not sure I would have. Um, and that fundamental, you know, the, that absolute power is the power available to you. Um, that's as good thank a place God. as, thank God, absolutely. That's as good a place as any, uh, to take a small break, uh, for me to dry off, uh, my visage. Um, uh, I mean, frankly, it's, it's only 85 outside. I don't even know why I'm sweating anymore. Um, but like, uh, and then we'll be back, uh, to talk about ways to deploy the power of God. We have the power of God. We have the motivation of God. How do we deploy the power of God effectively? Um, in a segment we call how to restart a church. We'll be right back. We uh, call this segment Restarting the Church, and one of the elements that we were talking about in the pre-show that this particular scripture reminded us of, uh, particularly the way that we approached the scripture this week because we we zoomed in and looked at it from the perspective of a single person of a single Israelite who remained unnamed um but it was focusing in on uh the needs of your people um and so often churches like to come in and tell people what they need um without first looking at their experience or first looking at their perspective um, there are entire books about this. Uh, there's one in particular that a lot of pastors have read called uh, When Helping Hurts. Um, I looked it up. It's by Steve Corbett and Brian Finkert. I had to remember who it was that wrote it. Um, but it's a great philosophy of making sure that you are not coming in and running over with chariots, so to speak, uh, your people. 
um, and thinking about what it is that your church can do without hurting. Well, it's one of those, like, and this is becoming a theme that I'm not sure we knew was, but like, that you yourself are not God. Like, this is important, like, you yourself are not God, right? (laughs) And so we come in with the love of God. We come in with the power of God, right? The the Holy Spirit is the wind in our sails. And Uh, even with the best intentions uh, of helping, right? Yeah, yeah. I, uh, this is, so this is not, by the way, this is not uniquely a church problem. Um, one of my favorite, favorite, it's actually, it's a a really bad story, but like one of my like key examples of this in my own work is I used to work on, work for a project that, um, studied how like civic organizations could help fight HIV and AIDS, uh, particularly in Kenya. Um, and so we had a couple of research sites. One where I ended up working was out in the sticks, um, out in Katui County. But we also had a research site, uh, re- research site in Amukuru Jenga, which is one of the uh, Nairobi has a lot of improvised settlements. This is one of the larger. Uh, Kibera is the one that kind of gets the is the, at least the time was the largest improvised settlement in the world. Um, home to hundreds of thousands of people. Amukuru um, Jenga is a little smaller, but still this vast um, improvised settlement. Um, And so we're looking at how do you like drive down HIV infection rates? How do you um, increase um, life expectancy of those who are infected? Right. Like it's important research work. And that team, I learned a lot from them. They're great because they used what's called asset-based community development. So that is like you go in and you talk to the community about what are you good at, what assets are available here, and then what are you as community leaders, as key stakeholders, um, what do you need? Like what are the things you need? Like for you all obviously know there's a ton of HIV and AIDS in your community, right? You may have noticed. Um, you probably didn't need an uh, 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 offensive name for white people in Kenya is Mzungu. Uh, you don't necessarily need the Mzungus to show up and tell you um, <laughs> that you've got, hey, you've got an HIV problem, friend. Um, and so, like, we've done this work, right? And what we'd identified is, um, the, what my team had identified, I was not on this project, um, is that if we could light the soccer field, then more kids would have structured activities and be less likely, and you can do the math here of why this would be, less likely to get HIV, right? Smart. It was actually a pretty, like, simple, and, and, like, maybe, like, have some, like, programming, evening programming around the soccer pitch in the community. And, like, that's a pretty, like, okay, cool. Like, that, you know, that that's not that expensive, um, yeah, got ele- get electricity out there. There's some doing to it, but like in the grand scheme of preventing HIV and AIDS, um, okay, cool. Lights for the soccer stadium. So you go uh, to the funder, right, that was going to fund an intervention, who I will not name. Um, we go to the funder, and the funder comes back and says, no, we build HIV clinics. That's what we do. And we go... Well, they've got a lot. They've got like local clinics, right? Like the clinics are not like the problem here. We they don't need clinics. They've identified. We've worked with the stakeholders, and they've they they've come up with like we've done it all right. Um, and so no, the the soccer stadium didn't get light. The soccer field didn't get lights because the funder only built clinics, and if it wasn't a clinic. They weren't interested, right? So another story like this, and this is, I don't, like, I can't source this. This is just one they teach you in, at some point in your public health career, um, is, so, uh, organization digs wells in places where you had to travel a long way uh, to get water. And that seems like, and, and a lot of times, that is a really good thing to do. But this is why it matters to, like, do the research and, like, ask people what do they need um because this organization dug this well and no one was using it the women who were generally the ones getting the water were still going down a long way 
and coming back to get water, even though there was a well in the middle of town. Why? Well, um, that was the only break that those women got um, from other responsibilities and was one of the few sites of female, of, of, of female community, right, um, was their journeys to get water and back. And so to lose, it was more important for them to still have those, you know, time for woman to woman conversation um, than that different kind of safe space than it was about the inconvenience of getting water from the river versus the well. And so and that it, well, no, it didn't get used. It, it starts with those conversations though, yeah. right? It starts with getting to know your people, getting to know your community, getting to know what the needs actually are instead of, you know, what the perceived need is. Building yeah. a well is not a bad thing, but not listening to the people who, you know, then may not use it could be. Well, that's um, like another HIV mm-hmm. clinics are like none, like, it not is, a bad thing, right? Like, it is obvious to say, yo, don't show up in a community and do bad stuff, right? Right. That's not, that this is like, how do we do the right good stuff? Right. I, I used to live in Galveston, and there's this great ministry there that um, that did talk to the people and, and ended up doing a thing. So uh, in one particular apartment complex neighborhood, uh, there was a lot of school dropouts. There was a lot of, you know, illiteracy. Um, it was, it, you know, they look looking around. It looked like they just really needed like an after school program. They needed tutoring programs. They needed something for the kids to do to keep them out of trouble after school. Um, but instead of just going in and starting those programs, they started a mom's group. They got to talking to the moms and said, you know, what do you need? What do yeah. you think we should do? Um, and the moms were less concerned about the literacy issue. What they really wanted was for their children not to have diabetes. Yeah. Um, and they yeah. didn't have an option uh, of feeding them outside of this little corner store. They were in a food desert. Um, they knew, they had the knowledge of, you know, they knew they needed to feed their children healthy food, but they didn't have access to it. They had access to the honey buns at the corner store for breakfast. And so their children were becoming obese and getting childhood obesity and childhood diabetes and all sorts of other nutritional related things that can also affect your education. Right, that, that can also play into educational outcomes, right? Like, right. you know, in not... just so many ways, it just spirals down. Um, and so instead of starting, you know, the after school literacy program, they started uh, food gardens, right? They started yeah. urban gardens, they started turning green spaces and the middle of the corner, they started planting spinach on the curbside um, and and started to engage these kids in a new and different way um, that helped to address a different issue that created community. And that created community ended up growing into and birthing, you know, higher literacy rates um, because they had somewhere to be after school, because they had connections with mentors that could then tutor them after school. Um, but it didn't start that way. It started with Stopping and listening and listening and like, and you know, so much of the business of church is at least meant to be the business of relationships. Yes. Right. Because we don't, we don't live in an era where you can just open the doors of the church and then it's immediately full, right? Like that's not, that's (laughs) only. If, if only, only, our jobs would be so much easier right, if that yeah, was Jesus. all it took. <laughs> right, gosh, what what it must be like. Right, and so you and you don't, and and this is what we should have always been doing. But you know, you get lazy, um, and and so like this is a part of that relationship building. Is you know is the listening, not the talking. Yes. Right. That and and you know, trust me, like you know I. We're recording two podcasts. Spoilers. We're recording two podcasts back to back, and so I'm going to spend like you know three hours talking into a microphone tonight, slowly dissolving into a puddle while wearing business <laughs> casual. Um, it's great. Um, I think this stuff dry cleaned. Um, and so, like, we think of our job as proclamation, and certainly that's a part of our job, right? This is a podcast. It's proclamation, right? But the relationship building is also about listening and so that we are doing that real discernment work 
right? Of how do you like figure out what the real needs are here so that you care enough to listen, right? That like this is part of caring is is that listening piece. Um, and and then, sometimes, sometimes those needs aren't stated needs. It right. comes from the relationship building that you then recognize the needs because you've spent the time to build the relationship, to get to know the people. One of these is for us is just, is an opportunity we just didn't. I was going to say missed. It's just we didn't have time. Like you know, we both were you know you were there for five years and I was there for four years, right? Like it, we just didn't have time to get all the things done that we needed to get done. But one of these was it was becoming increasingly clear that a previous church of ours uh, needed a daycare, um, and needed a daycare in part just because as you experienced um it's a childcare desert um there yep. are not enough daycares and so they needed a daycare just because the daycare supply is but what i began to see as i got to know that community is that one of the key things holding back the rights of women in palestine texas is a lack of childcare yep right because you know this is it's it's, it's just different it's just different place friends um, but a lot of women are in unhealthy marriages. Um, that's true anywhere. Um, but specifically in Palestine, because of the lack of child care, if you left Boyo, who is not good, and had to work, and didn't have, like, your parents in town or your sister in town, where do your children go? And can they you are, get can you get a job that's worth the childcare pay that's different enough that makes But a as difference? you saw, even if you made enough money, it wouldn't matter because there isn't the supply. Yeah. Right? Susanna yeah. sat on the on the the rolls for She's still on it. We still haven't on. gotten a phone call back. She's she's two ah. and a half now. Um right. she's been on the wait list for a daycare. She's still on the wait list for a daycare right. in Palestine. I should probably call them and tell them. Probably tell you know, tell you know, tell um, ET that we don't need it anymore. But like But it was that, every day was bring your child to work day for me because there was no child care. Right. And if I and didn't like, have an office that was, you know, cool right. with that, I wouldn't have been able to go to work. Right. But like and so for so for both of us those problems got solved. You know, child care came with my spouse's job um and we created a child-friendly workplace yes it's like having a pet-friendly workplace except it's a two-year-old yeah uh, i mean that's just what we did uh, but this is one of the, like i think about like like i wouldn't like showing up in palestine um especially because child care was a solved problem for me um i wouldn't have known that and it was only by just getting to know and we didn't even, like set out to just like know this but like over the course of this relationship building it became really clear to me that like actually at least in, and maybe this is everywhere but at least in palestine uh a child care center is actually would improve the rights of women right like you know more women would be able to live healthier lives healthier freer lives if they had the flex if they didn't if one of the barriers to getting out of an unhealthy marriage wasn't yeah but where are my kids gonna go and that like that's a fair question um and a solvable problem yeah yeah yes and the really good church-shaped problem right like it's not it's not we have a child care center here like it's not particularly innovative for a church to be host to a child care but like that we we were not just you know it would not have just been about like that wouldn't have just improved the supply of childcare, which itself is a good thing. Like if you were looking to, you know, if anyone is looking to improve the rights of women in Palestine, Texas, and there's a non-zero chance that someone listening to this show is uh, <laughs> open a daycare, increase a daycare. The, su- the supply of childcare. Yeah. And then you will actually have this cascade on effect Yes. And then also employ the women who have the yeah, children that well, yeah, yeah, need yeah, to bring yeah, them yeah, there, yeah, which was a thing that was, we did. Which is a um, thing that we did. We it's started, a thing that we could do was to employ the moms that well, needed we, a job. We had started employing a lot of people with weird childcare gaps. Yes. This is this way, you know, 
And then we kind of backed into it, right? Of like, well, I mean, we want you. Well, okay, I guess that makes sense. Sure. Bring your kid. You're working in the, well, you're working in the child care area already. (laughs) By all means, bring your kid. Oh, you're a youth director. Sure. Right. Like, yeah, we ended up with, you know, very strange job. Um, But a lot of the, like, a lot of those things come come from the relationship. And there's another there's another piece of the relationship side that like then people will be more likely to use the things if you have the relationship. Mm-hmm. Right? Um especially in church. Sometimes churches just organize spontaneously, but a lot of times churches are being planted strategically. Um and how do you you know, like, this place is cool. Like, this place is cool with you, right? That's the other place. Like, you want to do this intervention. You want to make a difference. You want to do these things. Listening, A, helps to, like, know what the thing to do is so that you don't get trapped in the, um, when you have a hammer, every, like, problem looks like a nail, right? Um <laughs> This is this is the well. This is classic. Classic. Like, well, what do you do? We dig wells. Okay, cool. A lot of places need wells. Do you need a well? No. Do you need a well? No. I need a women's empowerment center. Do you need a well? Right. Like, right. Like, break that cycle. Right. Um. And so we're not just building these things that no one needs. Right. But also, like. Folks need to know that this is an okay place. Like, okay place. This is particularly important for like home, you know, homeless folks in particular, right? But everybody, right? Like that. This can be a. It is not going to be assumed that this is a place for them, and the relationship building and the listening helps with that, right? Not every homeless person is worried about where they're going to sleep. Some of them are more worried about where they're going to wash clothes, where they're going to whatever. And so, like, you know, you go, well, I I can't. We are not set up to be a night shelter. That's really hard to do. Um, if you run a night shelter, bless you. Um, it is hard work. Um, but setting up a laundromat is a little easier, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and often... Or, like, is it ID services, right? Like, just helping people get IDs, right? When you're homeless, that all gets real complicated. Um, And it turns out our society, you need need your papers. Um, And so just helping folks. Like, what is that thing? Um, Listening and relationship building is a huge part of that. Of knowing what that is. Of knowing what that is to help you create what it is that you need. We've talked hear before about what is your niche, right? Like find your churches, what it's good at. Well, do the listening and then see what your church is good at and see where the overlap is. And see where the overlap is. Also, by the way, this also applies to like all the things you're trying to do, right? right? Like all the things you're trying to do. Is this something that anyone around you actually wants? Right. We're going, I'm going through this with a, a ministry I help out with right now. I work, with a a college ministry near us. Um, And it's just, it's in a really rebuilding time and we're really grappling with the question. And it's not a question we've answered yet. It's like, what do Gen Z's on an urban college campus want from a campus ministry? Like, what is that? Um, and so we're actually going to be doing a going to do a, like I'm going researcher I'm going hardcore researcher on this. Um, there's a, there's two college campuses relatively near each other. The other one has a thriving campus ministry. We're going to go do a focus group with that other <laughs> campus ministry. And I know that's not one to one because college campuses are their own unique cultures. But it gets us like cl- I keep trying to like closer to bedrock on like what do you like. What do you, you know, actually I, want to I was a part of a campus. I come from, you know, my origin story is the campus ministry, and I'm deeply passionate about it. Um, but I'm also 37, right? And so, like, and I didn't go to school in a big city. I went to school in a tourist town, which is very different, right? And so, like, uh, at William & Mary in the early 2000s, 
uh, mid-2000s, it was just not hard to host campus events because no one else was doing anything student-focused in the whole city of Williamsburg because what they want you to do is like think that you're really hanging out with George Washington. They really don't care if the <laughs> students have a movie theater, right? And so like I, that's the campus I come from. And so urban campus, you know, it's U of H. Like University of Houston's campus circa – also, circa 2023, where I am 37 and they are 19. Um, right. I don't know. I can come up with all kinds of ideas. Um, they're going to sound a lot like things that I did when I, you know. Um, what what worked for us when we were in campus ministry? Right. 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 And, and some like, of that will be universal, right? Like free food, college students, these things go together. But yes, it does. But there are new like, and innovative things too. Well, and I because like what is like what's that? Co- I can't answer, like, what's the core thing you want from this experience? I know what I wanted then. I know what motivated me to join a college ministry. And maybe that's the same. The point is, I don't know. And so I'm literally holding focus groups. (laughs) Like, I am literally going to, like, you know, hey, get the leadership of this nearby campus ministry for like in the room for like an hour or so i'm gonna buy them food because of course um be like okay help help us get closer to like the experience of this community like i am a christian who went to a college ministry and i very much remember i'm not so old i remember very well being a college student so less than 20 years ago um not that much less than 20 years ago. Shockingly few years less than 20 years ago. But it was less than 20 <laughs> years ago. Like, I, it was it's still like half my lifetime ago. Um, but I've lived half my life since then. Um, and so then the world's changed. And, and I'm a millennial and, the, and, and on campus are Gen Z's, right? Um, 10 years ago when I started this, I was much closer to what the student experience was. Because I was only a few years older than them. And... Anyways, those things change. I think that's an important part of ministry, too, is recognizing that you're not in the youth group anymore. Right. You know, uh-huh. like or just that that recognition that, well, but, you know, it wasn't that long ago, well, but it, it was, you know. And, well, in the uh, scale of time, specifically for that population, for the scale of time that's relevant to them, yeah, it's forever yeah. ago, right? You weren't, they weren't born yet. I'm 2x their age. Right. They were not born yet. Like 9-11, so we just passed the anniversary of 9-11, right, was before their lifetime. Right. They hadn't been born yet. Right. Um, Whereas that was, you know, while we were youth. Right. right. I was 15. Right. Um, Right. And so that was, you know, whatever, that was 22, I can do math, it was 22 years ago. 22 years ago. And so for the vast majority of American college students, they were born after 9-11. It's not even like college seniors, so 22-year-olds, college seniors, don't remember it, but might have been born. Maybe. Might have been born. Yeah. Um, And so that, like, that's one of those, like, you know, maybe it's a little more obvious when, like, like in the neighborhood where we are planted, we're like, I don't look like our neighborhood. And so, Mm -hmm. like, I cannot tell you. I have to do a lot of work to understand what are the needs and wants of our neighborhood? Because like I'm a Anglo dude from the suburbs. I am not a Latino guy from Southeast Houston. Right. right? Um, but at the same time, like I am not a Gen Z love Gen Z's. I am not one. I am a millennial. Um, and some things are universal, our message our desire for fellowship, but like that's might maybe that looks the same. Maybe it doesn't. The point is, is I don't know. And so I am, I am trying to practice what I preach and like we're, we're doing focus groups. So maybe we can all be humble enough to recognize that we don't have all the answers and we can go and listen to some people first. Yeah. <laughs> and so that when we deploy the power of God, we are effectively deploying the power right. of God. That's as good a place as any uh, to end this. Um, and if you're watching the video version, you will realize that next week's episode, neither of us change clothes. Um, because... <laughs> Uh, we're gonna we're gonna keep on till morning, um, because I am I'm on the road for the the, the, the we're pre recording these because I'm on the road for the next couple of weeks. We could do a costume change if it makes you feel better, viewers. I, but I, mean, I, I do have know. some t-shirts in my office, <laughs> I, which honestly would be a wonder would, would be a blessed change. Um, 
Anyways, uh, thank you so much for joining us on another edition of The Goodness of God. If you have feedback uh, for the show, we'd gladly read it aloud on the show and let that drive some of the conversation. Just email thegoodnessofgodpod at gmail.com. It is thegoodnessofgodpod at gmail.com. This and everything else we do here in the Media Lab is a product of Servants of Christ United Methodist Parish and is brought to you by a generous grant. Uh, from the in, uh, the Innovators Grant uh, from the Texas Annual Conference of the United Methodist Church. If you want more of everything we're doing, uh, it's really easy. Pick a service that isn't Twitter and punch in ServantsNow. Uh, ServantsNow.org, Facebook.com slash ServantsNow, YouTube.com slash ServantsNow, uh, Instagram at ServantsNow, TikTok at Servants Now. We don't have a blue sky or any of that yet. That, someday. Uh, someday we'll figure out microblogging. Or maybe we won't. Um, but, uh, yeah, follow us. There's a lot going on. Um, and uh, also, go in peace to love and serve the Lord. We'll see you next week.